With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. I am delighted to inform you that all members of the Football Social Daily team have been tested and we can continue with the daily scheduled Premier League podcasts coming your way for the foreseeable future. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Jim Salverson and on today's show, of course, those cancelled weekend games are on the agenda. Are the Premier League handling the Omicron crisis the right way? We'll be tackling that thorny issue in a little bit on the podcast. We're also going to be looking at the games that did happen last night as Liverpool extend their lead over title rivals Chelsea after last night's games for both teams and 14 days to go until the January transfer window opens. I've picked some of the most interesting transfer rumours to discuss and try and work out if there is a grain of truth in any of them. The only positive that we've got today is how positive I am that the team on offer will show some brilliant insights because we've got Marley Anderson and Niall McCorn on the podcast. How you doing, boys? I'm good, Jim. You mentioned that we've been tested, but you didn't say what we've been tested for. <laughs> no. But uh, no, we're all good. I'm good. <laughs> Mate, Very true. I've got to say, I'm, I'm sick of being tested after being to Iceland and back and having to do COVID tests and PCR tests and all sorts of stuff. I'm absolutely sick of everything, but it's now... Uh, getting towards the end of it so I was looking forward to having some football to watch but it does uh, does look like we're going to have a, a shortage of it this weekend You have my deepest sympathy Marley for being able to go away on holiday <laughs> the fact you got to take a couple of tests afterwards Oh, you, woe is you woe is you right let's crack on with today's podcast we're going to look back at last night's games before we do anything else with Liverpool winning and Newcastle drawing sorry sorry there with Liverpool winning at Newcastle and Chelsea being frustrated by Everton. Before we get stuck into the games themselves, are we in danger now of this three-horse race we had between Liverpool, Manchester City and Chelsea? With the form that Chelsea have shown recently, they are dropping off a little bit. Could the three-horse race we did have be more like a two-horse race in a couple of weeks now? Oh Well, with the amount of games between um, now and the new year... I think there's still five or six to go, presuming that all of them aren't postponed, which we'll talk about later. Presuming that they all go ahead as planned, they obviously won't, but let's just say for the sake of this argument that they do, then Chelsea could find themselves a significant amount of points behind. That's now no, I think that's now four games in the last seven where they failed to win. And in a title race where it is extremely fine margins, um, Thomas Tuchel might be scratching his head as to where things have gone wrong. And actually it was, a, I think, a 1-1 draw against Manchester United um, a, a couple of weeks ago and it's not really been the same for them since they've struggled um, in all fronts really both in Europe and uh, in the Premier League but it's the Premier League that's probably been the most concerned I mean an Everton side who are in poor form going into the game last night they had a number of first team injuries that we mentioned on yesterday's show Chelsea meanwhile were without I think Timo Werner Hudson-Odoi and Lukaku with positive tests Chilwell's out with a knee injury and Kai Havertz also missed out due to an illness which we think might be coronavirus but we're not sure yet so there were 
you know, players missing on, on either side, but you'd still back a Chelsea team with the quality they've got to be able to see off Everton. And they were so wasteful. And that must be frustrating as anything for Thomas Tuchel when you know that you're in a title race where if you lose ground, it is going to take everything to make it back up again. You know, he would have been scratching his head as to how he was two points behind Manchester City going into this game. And now the gap's four points. Um, but but like we say, it's, it's easy to, to slip up in the Premier League because the teams are so uh, much, much more difficult, I think, when you get in and around the bottom half of the table. You know, a game against Everton managed by a top manager in Rafa Benitez, even though they've got loads of injuries and they're in shocking form, isn't as easy as, as those factors might suggest going into the game on paper. And that was the case last night. You know, it was Branthwaite who scored for Everton and really dented Chelsea's title charge. And yeah, it would be the wastefulness that I think Thomas Tuchel will be will be will be disappointed with. But but that being said, if Lukaku doesn't start scoring goals, then maybe they will by the new year find themselves behind. And I think the key will be keeping pace, keeping that four point gap as, as short as possible. Because if you look in January, Jim, I think on the second or the third of January they've got uh, Manchester City, and then on the fifteenth of January I think they've got Liverpool. Either that or the other way around. But basically, they've got two huge games in the space of two weeks in the first half of January. And if they can keep the gap to the top below five points, so currently four, and they win both of those games, presuming they don't drop points against some of the lesser teams like we're seeing now, um, then then they are still in with a shout. But but like you say, you know, if, if they drop off and don't win enough points between now and the new year, those games against Manchester City and Liverpool almost become irrelevant because they might have dropped out of the race at that point. And you just need to look at the difference between your team, West Ham, in fifth and Manchester City at the top of the Premier League. That difference is already 13 points. That's a lot of... uh, It's a big gap to make up. A big, big gap to make up. So with the consistency that Liverpool and City in particular have shown this season, um, you have no room to breathe. And if you take your foot off the gas, you might drop out very, very quickly. And it's a long way to make it back up again. So this will be concerning for Chelsea. And um, they are at danger of, of being you know, knocked out of the title race um, even by the new year. So they need to pull their socks up for sure. It's not even as if Chelsea's form is that bad, I guess. It's more that City and Liverpool are setting a bre- a, ne- a, a neck, a, a break. What's the word I'm looking for? A breathtaking, that'll do. A breathtaking pace. That's the word I'm looking for. Pace so far this season. And Liverpool continue that pace oh, at Newcastle last night. Uh, Liverpool versus Newcastle at Anfield. And despite the fact it was a 3-1 loss, Marley, there were some encouraging signs for Newcastle. They scored the first goal. Second half, they were greatly improved on their first half performance as well. Was that due to Eddie Howe and his managerial nous, or was that to do with Liverpool getting their two goals, getting the lead and just taking their foot off the gas a little bit? Uh, I think we were we were just better defensively in the second half. Um, didn't think we were that bad in the whole game, if I'm honest. Liverpool were ridiculously good. Um their their pressing game is 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 almost impossible to play out of in terms of like if you do win the ball back you you know you're thirty yards inside their half and you're completely surrounded by by their players it's it's so like good to watch from a neutral point of view but it's horrendous to watch if you if you're the team trying to escape it because you just get frustrated that you, you you just can't get out and it's it has to be a long ball up front and hope uh, hope your your striker can chase it and and get something but i thought we were we weren't that bad um considering how bad it could have been i think second half you know it was 2-1 until sort of 12 minutes to go and at that point, you just need something to drop for you. You just need a half chance, and you might nick nick a goal to make it two two. Um, I think it was more just the Mike Dean show, which was uh, which was frustrating last night. If I'm honest, his his whole demeanor just makes you want to punch him in the throat. Um, it's just the way, <laughs> just the way he is. He's absolutely horrendous. Gosh. Yeah, it's just, it's just everything about him, like the way he he books players, but he decides to not look at them when he's booking them. And then, like, he like, looks one way and puts his card the other, as if he's trying to be a meme twenty four seven. And obviously, he's made a couple of calls which which have gone against us. I think I'm not sure the the game should have been stopped for for Newcastle's uh, for Liverpool's equaliser for for their first goal, but games usually do get stopped. So the, the situation there was 
just for those who didn't see the game, was that Isaac Hayden was down with a head injury. The rebound from the initial shot came out to Jota. He put it away. And I mean, Eddie Howe made the argument that the game should have been stopped because it was a head injury. Yeah, so like the, I think Hayden, Hayden and Lascelles have both went up uh, for a header and, and got injured. Um, usually the game stops. Like The game went on. There was a good uh, 10 seconds between play continuing and, and them going down and then Jota scoring but it was uh it's it's something that if, even if you don't think it's a head injury and don't think it should be should be worth stopping games do get stopped for that every single week all the time um and that's what's frustrating so it's the consistency of the rule and uh, the fact that you've got a, a guy in charge who, who wants to be like no no it's it's all fine all everyone man up and then later in the game uh he stopped I think he stopped the game twice for an injury, which was just a not a head injury, in favour of Liverpool. And it was like, you know, where's the consistency with this stuff? It's, it's ridiculous. But oh well, on to the next one. Mohamed Salah Nile again scoring a goal, twenty second goal of the season. He's now equaled Jamie Vardy's record of scoring or assisting in fifteen consecutive Premier League games, and there's no sign that that is going to stop anytime soon either. Where does Salah rank in terms of Premier League greats now? Is he one of the best? And we talk about Sergio Aguero recently in his retirement. Is he now classed as a better... Like the, Sergio Aguero was often given the title of the best ever foreign import to the Premier League. Does Mo Salah now get that title? Because he just seems to be getting better and better season on season. Well, interestingly enough, this is something that we'll speak about on the dugout tonight. Um, about whether maybe he's the best African to ever play in the Premier League. So we'll talk about that on the dugout. And, and I definitely think he's in with a shout for that. I don't think it's quite right to judge him as the best foreign import to the Premier League just yet. I think that there's still plenty more for him to, to do in terms of success. Not individually, as you say, I think, what is it? 15 goals, nine assists this season. And only Alan Shearer in, in the Premier League. Yeah, and only Alan Shearer in 94-95 has more goal involvements before Christmas than Mo Salah. And he'll only not be able to break that record because games this weekend have been called off. So, you know, he he may well have, have gone on to break that record. So, um, you know, that was that was a good 20-odd years ago when, you know, Alan Shearer was playing for Blackburn. So that just goes to show the calibre of player that he is and the company that he's in. You know, when you're breaking records set by someone like Alan Shearer, who's the, the league's record goal scorer, then, um, then, then there's no doubt that you should be in the, with the conversation of being one of the best players to do it in the Premier League. I think it's always tough to judge players when they're still playing. I think it's easier to look back and suggest how good they were. So I was thinking about this earlier, uh, talking about the best foreign imports of the Premier League, you know, with Aguero's retirement. And I think back to Thierry Henry and I don't know whether it's just a nostalgic thing because of where uh, the, when I grew up and, and the time that I grew up where Arsenal and Manchester United were the two best teams in the league and then Chelsea came along. And I don't know whether that's a, a looking back at Thierry Henry with maybe some nostalgia and rose-tinted spectacles. That's not to suggest that he wasn't an unbelievable football player. But I think because Salah's still playing at the moment, it's one of those things that when he does eventually leave the Premier League or retire or whatever it may be in 10 years, when you look back and you go, right, most Salah was the real deal. And I don't think anyone can deny that, but it's always easy to get caught up in players when they're still playing um and and I think it's always easier to judge a career as a whole looking back you know a lot of people um use statistics as a stick to beat other players with um you know like Wayne Rooney I've seen a lot of people since um Aguero's announced his retirement suggesting that Aguero was way better than Wayne Rooney well he wasn't way better than Wayne Rooney you know you could you can make an argument for either player being better than one or the other but in my opinion you know, you can't you can't suggest that Wayne Rooney was a, a distinct downgrade on Sergio Aguero. At his peak, Wayne Rooney was one of the best players the Premier League has ever seen. And much like Sergio Aguero, at his peak was one of the best players the Premier League has ever seen. And, you know, you can use the statistics as you know, to compare and contrast and pick one over the other. But I think it's it's one of those things that with Salah, he's breaking records at the moment and he'll continue to do so. In terms of being the best African to play in the Premier League, I think there's no doubt he's in with a shout of being that I mean, like I say it's hard to suggest until he until he retires um, or leaves the Premier League but it's, it's no doubt he's in the conversation whether to pinpoint right now whether he's the best or not I don't think it's quite fair because his career isn't over and I think once it is over that that's the, the best time to to compare 
Doesn't get any easier from Newcastle from here, Marley. The next game, potentially, who knows what's going to happen, is against Manchester City, one of the few Premier League games that is going ahead right now. How does Eddie Howe handle that game? Because we saw last night, he kind of switched to being a bit more defensive. He took out top scorer Callum Wilson. Willock was rested as well. So does he approach the Manchester City game, bearing in mind what happened at Leeds United this week? Is it pure damage limitation? Is it trying to protect that goal difference a little bit, which it could come down to at the end of the season? <laughs> um, now nah, we'll go and we'll go and beat them two one. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. I didn't. Get good I didn't, odds on that. <laughs> I know, Jesus. Yeah, I think we were twenty to one to beat Liverpool last night. You know, um, and and the bookers were probably crapping themselves when Shelby scored after ten minutes. Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I. I didn't disagree with what he did last night, to be honest. Even um, even resting, <coughs> excuse me, even resting uh, Callum Wilson because you know Wilson's uh, game time has to be managed with his. He's had a lot of hamstring injuries over over the the spell that he's been at Newcastle, and they tend to go every. Well, the, I think he hasn't had less than two per season so far, so. Um, he he, tend, he does tend to get the, those injuries, so I, I didn't disagree with him being rested last night and Hayden coming in made sense as well. Um, and you've seen, I think you've seen the the fatigue that comes in uh, with Jamal Lewis going down with a hamstring injury after ten minutes um, because I think with it's just a, the build up of games that that sort of brings home how how sort of fine these players ride um, ride the sort of fitness. You, know, you, you can you can break down at any time. So you didn't want that happening to Callum Wilson when you've got games coming up in the new year that you that you can win. I think we've got three games against Southampton, Watford, uh, and Leeds just after this horrendous run where you need to win those games. So you don't want him missing for them. So didn't disagree with with the way he set up. Um, I think we we played okay. Man City are a different proposition, but at home I don't think. Um, It'll be as as sort of defensive because I think Eddie Howe wants to to show that Newcastle will try and play when they can. So I mean we'll have to wait and see. I'd still I wouldn't be surprised if he went defensive, and I wouldn't be against it either because as we know, the Man City are in the form, the best form they've been all season. They've just put seven past Leeds, who are six points above us in the Premier League table. So you you do have to be a bit wary. Um, but we'll see how he sets up, um, and hopefully we can we can squeeze a a one one or a nil nil or something. Newcastle United have conceded more goals than any other team in the Premier League this season. Manchester City aren't quite the league's top scorers. That honour goes to Liverpool, but they're not doing too bad with 40 goals in 17 games so far. The other game last night was Chelsea versus Everton. Niles kind of had a say on this already, Marley, but what has happened to Chelsea? Because they seem to have gone off the boil. Early season, they were setting the pace. They looked like they were going to not walk, but certainly be there or thereabouts for the Premier League title. And then yet last night, I think we all expected a win over Everton, especially considering the side that Everton actually put out last night. And yet they couldn't quite get over the line, despite having... I think it was 23 shots, 80% of the possession, so they dominated. They just couldn't get the win. Yeah, to, to be honest, I don't know why this is happening, but I would put it down to a mix of uh, injuries and a, a mix of not having a um, a centre-forward for a lot, a long like period of that time. I think Lukaku is tested positive recently, so he missed last night's game. Werner wasn't there either. Um, and again, you're sort of patching patching it up I think the difference people might say yeah Man City are doing that as well but Man City is still winning I think Man City are more prepared to play without a striker because they've only got one at the club so they they sort of prepare to play with a false nine and and get goals from the wingers more um, whereas Chelsea have strikers and they're set up to play with the striker um, and sometimes they just don't have it so Havertz steps in or Pulisic steps in, or Mount plays there and tries to chip in as well, and it just hasn't quite clicked for them yet. Um, and as you said, as you said before, you know the, the title race could go down to a, a two-horse race because normally, uh, normally with with five or six points in it at this stage of the season, I'd say there's still so much football to play, and I still do say that. But if if two teams 
like Liverpool and Man City are ahead of you, you they've already proved a couple of years ago with, with that ridiculous title race with 98 and 97 points. Like, they they proved that they can be relentless and they can just keep the, the hand on your throat sort of thing when you're trying to chase them because nobody got near them that season. They couldn't even get near each other. That game, that gap was, was one point for, I think they both won the last 11 games or something like that. So if you've got two teams ahead of you that are six points ahead of you and you're banking on beating them both to close that gap, uh, that is that is very, very risky. So Chelsea needs to sort it out because they just couldn't kill Everton off last night. The, the play was okay, just the, the chances were wasteful and, and Pickford was, was fantastic as well in, in the Everton goal, but it's, uh, it's a, a typical Rafa Benitez performance, I think, with just everybody dig in, we'll get a point and we'll get some players back next week and we'll... You know, we'll go again if uh, if conditions allow next week. He made he made like five or six absolutely superb saves last night, didn't he? He did really. Hang well. on, Marley gives Pickford credit, Claxon. I know, yeah, but I mean, you could argue, I guess, that Chelsea were unlucky because they had the chances and it relied on Pickford making those saves. But for some reason, Manchester City and Liverpool don't have that bad luck. It, they, they, and there's that phrase, isn't there? You make your own luck. And I guess that's the situation that Chelsea find themselves in. Liverpool and City are just so good that they don't have bad luck because they're so good. But for Everton last night, Niall, 12 first team players missing, a few of the youth teams stepping up, a few kind of fringe players stepping in as well. Did anyone make a case last night that they should be having a starting role in that Everton team, particularly considering the first team, as inverted commas, that have been on the pitch recently haven't really been doing the job. Yeah, Jared Branthwaite did. I don't think you can do much more than to be 19 years old and score a goal against a side like Chelsea when your team's been in pretty torrid form. And that's kind of enough to to stop the rot, so to speak. So he played in a back five last night. You know, it's Pickford in goal and then Godfrey, Branthwaite, Keane, Holgate and Kenny. That's a pretty young back line. If you assess it all, you probably suggest that Michael Keane is the most experienced of all of those players. You know, Godfrey, Branthwaite, Holgate and Kenny are the other four. And it's a relatively not inexperienced back four because, you know, you look at the likes of, of Godfrey and Holgate who have played decent amounts of games now for Everton. But in terms of their ages between them, it, it's not it's not the oldest uh, of defensive lines. So, you know, Branthwaite playing in, uh, in, in one of those three centre-back roles, I think he did very, very well. Managed to score, so no complaints there. I think Anthony Gordon's been um, a bit of a breath of fresh air for Everton since he's been used uh, by Rafa Benitez at times this season. We saw Ellis Sims as well up front, who I think is still just waiting to find his feet. I think he scored goals whilst he was on loan at Blackpool, but scoring goals in League One and the Championship isn't the same as the Premier League. Um, And there are plenty of examples of that. The likes of Neil Mopé, the likes of Shea Adams, who have scored goals in the Championship, taking a bit of time to adjust to the Premier League. So so he'll he'll blossom eventually. so, yeah, I mean, there were a few young players on show last night for Everton. And I think there's loads of potential um, in and amongst the Everton ranks. Um, I think it's uh, their under-23 coaches, David Unsworth, I think. And um, they're always a physical team, Everton. They, they always put out um, big young players. Like they're, they're usually pretty well physically developed. So, um, so, yeah, there's definitely some young players in and amongst Everton's group that could be useful for them in the future but the two standouts would probably be Gordon and Branthwaite last night you can't say much more than being uh, of such a young age I think a new contract as well is on the table for him and he scored a goal as well against Chelsea so so for me he would probably have been the standout. As always plenty of players missing for Everton Chelsea had their fair share of absentees as well Romelu Lukaku, Timo Werner, Hudson-Odoi and Kai Havertz all out of that match for Chelsea because of either positive COVID tests or awaiting test results. And it's a similar story across the whole of the Premier League. Four of the weekend's matches have been called off and we'll discuss that next on Football Social Daily. Five. Five. (laughs) Five. Five of the weekend's matches called off. We'll discuss that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. A lot of games, be it four or five, have been called off ahead of the weekend. The number is growing all the time. It could be even more by the time you listen to this podcast. Yesterday, we were calling for early decisions to be made by the Premier League on these games because we didn't want to see fans travelling to the four corners of the UK only to get to a ground and just find that their games have been called off. And they, now the Premier League have acted quite swiftly here and... Southampton, Brentford, Watford Palace, West Ham, Norwich, Everton, Leicester. What's the other one that's been called off then, Niall? United against Brighton. Ah, United, Brighton. So that's the fifth match that's been called off. All off to have the Premier League made the right call now, Marley. Uh, Probably. Um, It seems like the sort of Premier League are are trying to... They have the solution right in front of them, which is to just suspend the whole weekend. And they're just like, no, no, we'll we'll try. We'll try and get someone. And... uh, Villa Burnley will be in front of 40,000. Leeds and Arsenal will be in front of 30,000. That's the crazy thing, isn't it? The fact that there's going to be people in these grounds. It's almost like I can almost understand them cracking ahead with the infection rates within the teams. It's the fact that they're playing in front of huge crowds of people crammed together. And we've seen time and time again throughout this pandemic that football matches are a great way. We saw it at Wembley for the Euros. We saw it for, was it Atletico Bilbao playing Liverpool? right at the beginning of the of the, the pandemic, the crisis. They're great ways to spread infection. That seems crazy that they're still going ahead with that part of it. Yeah, it does. Um, obviously, we you know we all want to see football with fans. Um, I feel like we're not far off either no fans or, or no football, um, especially over the Christmas period. Because, I, mean, I don't know about you, but the last thing, if I had a ticket for Newcastle against Man City tomorrow, which I don't, I would be scared of uh, contracting it so close to Christmas because um, it would potentially ruin Christmas, and I think a lot of people have to think about that. And for the for you know we're a week away from Christmas now, um, and that is it is 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 there a time to is there a more perfect time to to just suspend one round of matches than this one? Because I feel like that there isn't, um, but. We're going to have five matches and not ten. Well, we discussed it yesterday on the podcast, the fact that the reason the Premier League is so resonant about resistant to postpone games is because they need to fulfil them in terms of reaching their financial obligations to the TV rights holders. They don't want to have to be paying back money at the end of the season. So with that in mind, they are going to resist the urge to postpone games or cancel games where they can. So should they be getting creative here? Because it's not every team that has asked for a game to be postponed. It's only certain ones who have high infection rates. So should the Premier League be looking at rejigging fixtures, maybe, Niall? Playing games with the teams who can. So, for example, you could potentially put on West Ham versus Everton this weekend. Would that be a way to alleviate congestion fiction later on? Or does that throw up too many more issues with fans getting to games, for example? Um, yeah, I think there's an element of that. You know, fans will have booked in advance um, tickets and hotels and travel and stuff like that for games. So I can understand that. And we've mentioned on the podcast this week already how the fans are often an afterthought. But I think what you'll see immediately if that happens is complaints from clubs, because even though every team has to play every other team twice a season, once at home and once away, as is the basic rules of the Premier League. Also, if you alter the fixture list, you will see managers complaining. You know, you're looking at a run then, if you know, a completely different fixture schedule of what you would have prepared for. And there are people that will say, well, you play every team twice a season, home and away, so why does it matter? But it does matter, doesn't it, in terms of the order of the fixtures? I mean, there's different views on whether the games should be pulled or called off or cancelled or postponed, even within the Premier League at the moment, Marley. You've got Thomas Frank, He's been quite vocal in his suggestion that top flight games should be cancelled. But then last night, Jurgen Klopp comes out and says he can't see any benefit in stopping the league for the sake of COVID. Do you think there's an element that football selfishness is coming into play in these people making decisions? Like Klopp, for example, clearly doesn't want Liverpool (laughs) to lose momentum. Um, I I, I don't know. I don't know what he thinks um, because he's quite sort of safety first, isn't it? If they had 15 injuries, he wouldn't be saying that. Yeah, that's, no. that's probably true. Well, they have got a few players out. They had Virgil van Dijk was out last night because of COVID, wasn't he? So he, they are suffering as well as everyone else. I mean, with respect, you're not going to need Virgil van Dijk to beat Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably the reason we scored, to be fair. Um, 
I don't know. I I do I, I do agree with Niall. Like he, he he wouldn't be in this position if he did have a lot of injuries. Um, he's he's normally spot on with with uh, vaccine talk and and virus talk. Uh, Jurgen Klopp. He said something in in midweek about um, trusting the experts and not listening to what he says and stuff like that, which which I thought was spot on. Um, but I'm not sure about this one in terms of impartiality um, because I think you know as Niall said if if this if there'd been a grip of of COVID on his club and on his squad and and making him miss seven or eight first teamers one being Salah another being you know uh, Henderson another being Trent Alexander Arnold and and one being Allison you know, we said last last year that he was uh, completely like up the creek without them sort of thing because he was panicking and they lost lost a few games and what have you and I feel like if it was that again this year then he would be calling for a, a, a like a, a circuit breaker or a postponement or whatever you want to call it so yeah I can't, can't fully buy into that that quote but um, yeah you've got to take into to, to account more teams than just your own. I mean, the next thing that we're going to be talking about, Niall, inevitably, which we haven't got onto yet, is going to be the African Cup of Nations because that is slated to start on the 9th of January. International travel, which we know is one of the key ways in which this virus spreads, should there be some kind of... I mean, they're probably not going to cancel the tournament. That's the truth of it because that is the very much the last option. But how do Premier League teams then manage that? Do they kind of ban players from going potentially? No. No, you can't ban players from representing their country. This is a conversation we had earlier on this season. You know, just think back to October. We were having this exact same conversation about the Copper America and about the country putting other nations on the red list and people like, you know, Edinson Cavani and uh, Emerson and, and you know, kind of some of the uh, the Brazilian and Argentinian, Argentinian players in the Premier League were absolutely furious about not being allowed to represent their country. And I've said this a number of times and I'll continue to say it because I think it's an important message. In this country, the majority of people are club over country. Marley would rather see Newcastle stay up than than England be successful. You'd probably rather see West Ham win a trophy. I'd definitely rather see Portsmouth get promoted from the pits of League One than see England have won the Euros this summer. And people might think, well, that's a bit weird. Well, it's not. I'm, I'm much more, I have a much greater bond with Portsmouth, my team, than I do with the England national team. And for some people, that's understandable, particularly in this country. But for other countries overseas, players have a much stronger representational bond with their nation than they do with their club. So Edinson Cavani, and that's no disrespect to Manchester United, who are one of the biggest, if not the biggest teams on the planet, Cavani will feel much more pride in representing Uruguay than he will in Manchester United. I think it's just a fact. It's just a fact of the matter that in South America, for example, there's there's a lot of that going on. But, you know, if we translate that school of thought to Africa, there will be very very similar thoughts i'm sure amongst the african players and you cannot stop someone from doing something um if you if you're an employer you, you know i know it's that clubs are still employers but it's 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 like i'll tell you what it's like it's like me asking you for a day off to go to you know my brother's wedding and you saying no i'm going anyway so it's one of those things, you know, where it's it's almost like clubs... I think we should have, take have this a... conversation off the podcast now, to be honest with you. I don't think it's <laughs> an appropriate forum for this. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? It's one of those things where, you know, I still have to ask you for that day off, Jim, but the chances are you're going to say yes to it. And if you say no to it, you look like you don't look very, very nice. And that's going to cause a little bit of discontent between between people. So I think that's kind of a similar situation with, with clubs and letting their players go to the African Cup of Nations. And clubs are often in, in dialect with national FAs as well about injury situations and uh, and bits and pieces like that. And it's in their best interest to do so. So I can't see clubs stopping players going to the African Cup of Nations. The only way that would be the case would be if the player makes that decision themselves. There is more chat about that tonight on the 
Dugout, which is our show where former pro footballers discuss the weekend's action. You can join Niall for that later on this evening. It'll be available on the podcast feed. That is Friday evening. We're talking on Friday morning. This is the Football Social Daily, daily Premier League updates. And we're going to talk about the potential Premier League transfer window next. It opens in just 14 days. Going to take a look at some of the rumours next on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. Final bit of today's podcast. We're going to delve into the transfer market and pretty much every newspaper that's published at the moment or every website that is doing transfer talk has something connecting Newcastle to some player somewhere and certainly the Football Insider website is no different at the moment which is suggesting that Newcastle are extremely confident of signing Kieran Trippier from Atletico Madrid this January. Another transfer, another day, another link to Newcastle Marley. Does this one feel like a realistic target? I mean it's somewhere between the Killian Mbappe's and the I can't remember whoever was linked most recently it's kind of like a midway point but does it feel like a kind of player that Newcastle should be going after 31 now wants to move back to England he's been linked with a few he's going to be thinking about his last big contract it kind of makes sense to me yeah I, I think it makes sense um obviously you know we're not in the greatest of league positions right now but I think um I'm not sure what changes if if Newcastle like struggle and go down because obviously the league changes, but you're always going to back them to come back up, aren't you? With the with the cash they've got and with the the players they can attract uh, with that cash. So I think with with Trippier, it, it does seem like he's done in Spain. Um, he's still in the team and everything, I think. But he's he's uh, I think with most English players, they they do want to come back. They don't. They very rarely go to Spain and stay there for ten years. Um, so I think he probably does want to come back. If he's looking at uh, who wants him, you know, he was linked with Man United in the summer, but I don't think that was ever uh, properly on because I think Atletico wanted fifty odd million pound for him. Um, I'm not sure what fees being being banded around with Newcastle, but I, I do think it makes a bit of sense. We we desperately need a right back, and we desperately need players with experience who can come straight in and and help us fight the fires that were that were that were setting. <laughs> setting ourselves half the time or Steve Bruce set and then wandered off into the nearest kebab shop put it that way um, but yeah I think he's he's a perfect sort of starting point of, of signings if you can get him in in early January um, get him playing and and, and start improving with uh, with him in the, in the side then I think it's a good uh, a good place to start your business is that key for you at the moment the transfers that do come in need to be done early doors they need to be bought in as the window opens, so hopefully are being negotiated now. Yeah, pretty much, because, you know, if you look at January, you've got five or six games there, so if you leave it to the end of January, you're just, you're just five or six games closer to to the uh, the end of the season where you might be in trouble, so you need to get them done ASAP. Are you worried that might not be happening, though, Marley? Because, I mean, I don't mean to, like, put a negative spin on this, but Amanda Stavely's never run a football club before. There's a chance she hasn't got a clue what she's doing. The Reuben brothers are the same. They've got all this money. They don't have a director of football. I guess the only person who really knows what they're looking for is Eddie Howe. And it's kind of a case of, do you have a, a negotiator who's able to, to strike up a good deal and isn't going to be rinsed? Not that it matters because you've got limitless cash, but still, you don't want to be paying more than you need to for players. And secondly, you know, everyone's talking about January and Newcastle and who they can bring in and stuff. But it's almost a case of that's immaterial if they don't have the right people to do the job behind the scenes. And that's the thing I worry about. And that's not like to to denigrate Amanda Stavely and Ruben Brothers' credentials as business people. It's just more the, the football industry works in a totally different way to any other business. And if you don't have anyone who's able to kind of be in there and strike deals, unless I've completely missed something, then it almost feels like it's going to be a lot more difficult than people think. Yeah, I you've got a point. I do wonder who's doing the negotiating, who's who's sending those emails and who's having those uh, discussions with the relevant parties, agents and players and managers possibly if if that is the case because there's been rumors about us being close to directors of football ever since the takeover got got completed. Um 
you know, Michael Emanalo and I think the the fella from Liverpool, like Michael Edwards, I think he was called. Um, and there's there's been a few, there's been a few names knocking around, but no one's in, no one's in, no one's through the door yet. So I don't know whether it's it's an Eddie Howe thing mm. um, of him personally talking. It's to got the to be surely. I can't think of anyone else who'd do it. Yeah, it, it can't be any of the the owners because, as you say, they've got no experience in that that field. So I don't know. It is it is a genuine concern because you know we're we're what two weeks away from January and. We need we need to get moving on this whole signing players and splashing this cash type of thing. So, um, we'll, well, we'll have to see what happens because at some point we've got to find out find out the answer. Um, even two weeks isn't it enough for somebody. If somebody got appointed today, it's not really enough to to settle a list and and start working through them and and ticking them off in the space of you know three or four weeks. It's it's a tall order. So, um. It might just have to be a, a case of everyone chips in a bit and uh, and makes the best of what situation we've got. One of the players that I thought potentially could be on their way to Newcastle, given recent events, is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But the Mirror is saying that he could be offered a way out of Arsenal by Thomas Tuchel, who has been in contact with the former Arsenal captain following the disciplinary action he faced at the Gunners this week, being stripped of the armband, etc. etc. Now, does it feel like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's time is up? Arsenal. His destination's undecided, but it feels like he will be going somewhere in January. This is a really hard one. Um, he's obviously just been stripped to the captaincy, so it's hard to know whether he'll stay at Arsenal or not, to be honest. But a link to Chelsea is its not something I can see happening. They've just spent £95 million on Lukaku. Aubameyang will want a decent fee in terms of wages. Uh, he'll be on 250 300 grand a week. Not that Chelsea couldn't pay that, because they absolutely could. It's just more, will they be prepared to do that for someone who hasn't performed in the last season or so, has shown disciplinary problems before? It's it's a tough one. Um, I, I don't know what's going on with with Aubameyang in terms of his contract. I think is there still maybe another year or so to go because he signed that new contract a couple of summers ago. And um, since he did sign the contract, he hasn't scored as many goals. Sometimes that happens with players. At least two years left. Chelsea will have to pay a fee for him. How much will Arsenal sell Aubameyang for to Chelsea? And would Chelsea pay it? I'm not so sure. I mean, if you think about some of the movement between the two clubs in recent years, it's normally Chelsea's off-casts are going to Arsenal. So Chelsea didn't want Petr Cech anymore when Mourinho was there. So they got rid to Arsenal. David Luiz, they got rid to Arsenal. Willian, they got rid to Arsenal. There's a number of examples. But Chelsea signing players the other way, it was only Giroud really, that they signed from Arsenal in, in recent years. And Giroud was actually pretty good. And I don't think they paid a great deal for Olivier Giroud. They would have to pay a, a great deal more to get Aubameyang. You know, you might be right. Aubameyang's time at Arsenal could be over. Um, he's obviously lost the trust of Arteta, which is crucial. doesn't look like Arteta's going to be moving anytime soon in terms of being sacked or replaced. And maybe Aubameyang wants to stay in London. So why not offer him to someone like Chelsea? Uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's uh, it, it's an interesting link, but I, I just can't see Chelsea paying a fee for a Bamiyang. I just not after they've paid ninety five million for Lukaku, fifty million for Werner. But you never know. Chelsea have done strange things in the transfer market in the past, but I just not. This is just not one I can agree with. I don't think. Do you think Aubameyang's been slightly hard done by here? He's been painted at the villain as the villain when he's not done too much wrong. I mean, the recent indiscretion, his latest uh, disciplinary was to do with him going to care for his sick mother, which I think we can all probably sympathise with of him taking an extra day to do that. If he wasn't club captain, it probably wouldn't feel as bad as it is. And being stripped of the captaincy is one thing. Being shipped out of a club because of it is another. He's obviously unhappy though, isn't he? You know, he's obviously unhappy. I mean, it's not just that. There was a video of him being late for a game um, a few months ago. I don't know if anyone remembers that. It was just a... You know, someone took a photo of him out the top window of their flat and it was just a Bamiyang in his sports car stuck in traffic. And it's just one of those things where, you know, I think that might have been for the North London derby as well, which makes it even more concerning considering he was the captain. Um, uh, you know, and he was... Some he, people are just chaotic though, aren't they? They're just late for stuff. They just don't organise themselves. It can just be a personality well, trait. How, how late is late though? Turning up a day late? You know, he was given the time off to go and look after his mother, but he returned late. I think that that's the disappointing thing. You know, he, he returned late from a trip abroad and I know that there are issues to do with travel at the moment, but 
you know, if you're away for an agreed period of time and then you sort of take a little bit more than you're supposed to, regardless of what the issues were, um, that's a breach of trust. And listen, it's, it's an issue between Arteta and Aubameyang. Um, I, mean, I think there's a lot been made of this. Uh, whether that results in him leaving the club, I don't know. But he's if he doesn't get a game, then he's still going to sit there and pick up his 300 grand a week for the next two years. So it's, I, I'm not sure what's going on with Aubameyang, to be honest. I'm not um, in tune with much when it comes to Arsenal. Uh, but it, it seems like there is, is a bit of a falling out there between the manager and and the captain. He's been stripped of his captaincy. Um, although, to be honest, the Arsenal captaincy has been a bit of a shambles anyway. But <laughs> will he leave the club? I don't know. I think Lacazette will probably leave the club m- more likely. Um, he's out of contract at the end of the season, which means in January he can start talking to other clubs. Um, and if they get rid of both Lacazette and then Aubameyang leaves, that means Arsenal are in the market for two new strikers come the summer. So that will be definitely interesting if that does happen. Speaking of movement in and out of Chelsea, the final story we're going to tackle is about the future of Antonio Rudiger, who apparently Manchester United are interested in. That's according to the Mail. Ralph Ragnick is apparently the bait on the hook that's going to get Rudiger up to the northwest. Um, that's going to convince him to move there over interest from Real Madrid and PSG and Bayern Munich, who have all been linked in recent weeks to him. He's out of contract in the summer. I mean, can you see the pull of Radnick being that much Marley when he's only going to be there till the end of the season? He's only an interim manager after all. Um, No, I can't. No, I can't see this. I think Rudiger wants to... I think he's had his head turned by what he might get and I think what he might get is Real Madrid um, he's not signed the contract that's all been going on and to be honest I still think Man United are a step back from Chelsea you're, you're European champions at Chelsea you've won the Champions League last year you're in the title race still until well providing this little stumble uh, ends soon but there's plenty of uh, plenty of options out there and I think Real Madrid are, are, are benefiting massively from a few players eyeing them up on a on freeze, like Mbappe might go to Real Madrid on a free, Rudiger might do the same, and that helps with Real Madrid managing the shambles terribly. Uh, managing their finances like a shambles completely is what I was trying to say there. <laughs> managing their shambles. <laughs> managing their shambles. Good, uh, That's what Newcastle do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, everyone's finances are now called shambles. Yeah, yeah. I'm that used to saying the word shambles with being a Newcastle fan. It just it just comes out. Um, but yeah, you know all the debt they're in and stuff. They're not in a position to go and buy players. So I think players who 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 back themselves to to get to a club like Real Madrid are, are letting the contract run, doing a bit of flirting. Um, and I think Rudiger's one of them. So I can't see him going to uh, going to someone like Man United, for example. I, I don't, I'm not even sure Man United need um, Rudiger in terms of they've already got three centre backs. Yes, they're not the best um, in terms of Maguire and, and Lindelof's had a lot of stick as well. But I think um, adding a fourth one into the mix is not is not the solution. It's uh, improving what you've got or going out and buying someone uh, after you sell one of those players. So I can't see this one happening. I think it's just uh, your, your January um, transfer rumour writers getting a bit excited. Is there a bit of a storm coming for Chelsea, Niall, with... Rudiger, I mean, to all intents and purposes, it looks like he's going to leave, despite the fact Chelsea offering him contracts to stay. He's going to be off. Thiago's pushing on a bit now. It's unlikely he's going to be available too much longer for Chelsea. Christensen, he's reaching the end of his contract as well. There's going to be a little bit of an issue they have, particularly as they let Zuma go in the summer as well. They need centre-backs. Yeah, I was having this discussion with Joel the other day in the office, and I guess they do need centre-backs, but they don't right now and I don't think there's any issue with Chelsea going into the market in the summer I don't think they're going to lose any of their players in January and we've seen Chelsea do this before make decent signings in a summer they often do make big signings in a summer Um, but they've also got young Trevo Chalabar who's very much trusted by Thomas Tuchel who's come through up through the academy and he's performed well so there's no reason to suggest he won't be getting more first team games in the seasons to come much like has happened with the likes of Rhys James coming up through the academy as you say with Rudiger, it doesn't look like he's going to sign a new contract, but he, he might. He might still sign one yet. Obviously, he wants quite a a, a significant wage increase. Um, 
but he also spoke in an interview recently, Antonio Rudiger, about how Thomas Tuchel has reopened the door for him at Chelsea. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to say if you aren't going to sign a new contract. Surely you repay the loyalty by putting pen to paper, but that's just my personal opinion. You're right with Thiago Silva. He's in his mid-30s. How long can he carry on for? We just simply don't know. But from what he's shown this season, he's not looked like a centre-half who is past it. I think he's performed pretty well, but I think that that downhill slope can speed up and accelerate very, very quickly. You can go from being a decent player to all of a sudden your legs are gone and you don't know what you're doing. And I think that the the margin when you are that age is very, very fine. All of a sudden you're right. And the next thing you know, you're getting you know, left in the wake of, of attackers. So yeah, I, I don't know what, it's an interesting one on him for sure. I think that he was signed on a year contract initially, whether he'll extend, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. And Christensen seems to have had a fair amount of injuries uh, and hasn't had a great run in the team over the last few weeks. So it's one of those things where I think that Chelsea are obviously thinking about this. They've got that Marina Granovskaya, who's their kind of transfer person really upstairs at Stamford Bridge. She'll know what she's doing. She'll have an eye on it. Thomas Tuchel will definitely have had conversations about the centre-back issues and whether that leads to activity in January or the summer, I'm not so sure. But I don't think Chelsea will panic. They don't seem like the sort of team, especially in recent years, that that will, will panic. Just that phrase, you suddenly get to a point and you realise your legs have gone, just made me reflect on my life somewhat. <laughs> I'm feeling quite uh, quite reflective now. So I'll go and think about what I've done and that will be the end of today's Football Social Daily podcast. There will be the dugout later on tonight. That show comes out. Now talking to some former pros about the weekend's action, although the show was recorded before the weekend's action was decided it wasn't going to be action at all and it was going to be called off. So maybe a reduced dugout on what you'd normally get. And of course, Fergal will be here on Sunday to reflect back on the weekend as well. So if you want the up-to-date news and views across the weekend's action, the two games that are happening, then make sure you have hit subscribe to Football Social Daily and you're following this podcast and we'll get it to you as soon as it's ready. You can also head to sport-social.co.uk for the latest. Niall, Marley, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Cheers, lads. Have a great weekend and we'll see you soon. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.